0: Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we do give you thanks that you've given us each other, that you've given us this moment, and that above all, you've given us yourself and your Son Jesus. We pray now that we would draw near to him as he has drawn near to us, and that in this moment of preaching, your Spirit would move within us and among us, enabling us to proclaim and hear good news so that we might go from this place to be doers of good news in all that we say and all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Jesus' ministry had entered a new era. Teaching and healing had led to a revelation. Jesus was the Messiah, the Messiah, the long-awaited one of the Jewish people, God's chosen one, who would come to initiate a new era, to lead the people, to break the chains of their oppressors, to set them free in body and mind and spirit, to walk with them into a new future in which injustice would fade away and God's people would walk on in the light of love and God. The scripture tells us that Peter was the first one of Jesus' closest disciples to make this proclamation. You are the Messiah, he said when pressed. And a very interesting thing happened at that moment. Once his disciples recognized him at Jesus, Jesus did a very strange thing. He started to talk for the first time about his death and about his resurrection and about how following him would require of those disciples to take up their cross to deny themselves and to follow me. We have, if we would have started reading in Luke's gospel a little bit earlier, we would have read that part of the story. And then eight days passed. And I love it when the scripture gives us moments like this something big, something huge, something momentous has taken place. And then we get silence. We get silence for a day, a week. Eight days, whatever it might be. Eight days in this case. And we're left to wonder what was going on in the lives of the disciples during those eight days. Peter has made this this stunning revelation. James and John and the others have heard it. And we know nothing about those eight days. Did they think Peter had lost his mind? Were they convinced that this was all true? Or was it wrong? Or or were they kind of skeptical of this business about taking up a cross and following Jesus? And what was the stuff about death and resurrection? What was going on here? Eight days they lived with that tension. And then Jesus invited Peter, James, and John to go with him on a mountaintop. And something miraculous happened there. Something miraculous that we celebrate today this day of transfiguration. The, the, the Transfiguration is a mysterious moment, certainly, in Jesus' life. I think it's best for us to think of it as a, uh, a pulling back the curtain kind of moment, uh, where, where, where the, the, the curtain of this life is pulled back, and we see Jesus in his glory. We see Jesus in his divinity. Uh, of course, we're, we're told about this, uh, the, his face shining, uh, different corners of the scripture tell us brighter white than any garment could ever be bleached, uh, he's described in that moment. In addition to what the disciples see going on with Jesus, two people show up there who really should not have been there at all. Moses and Elijah have been off the scene for several centuries at this point, right? But there they are, standing with Jesus. And Peter and James and John are kind of stunned by what's happening here. I think we can think of it in terms of... um, Two witnesses. Really, I think that's what uh, their presence there is about. Moses, the great lawgiver, the epitome of God's law. Elijah, the great prophet, the the epitome of the of the prophetic ministry and God's prophetic word show up to endorse, if we want to think of it in this way, to endorse Jesus as the Messiah. I think that's how we can interpret the story of the transfiguration. These great pillars of faith, Moses, Elijah, the law, and the prophets, they show up and say, yes, this is the one. This is the chosen one. This is the one to follow. This is the one who will lead you someplace great. And Peter seems to get that. At least uh, there's, uh, I've been telling our, our Bible study participants, um, I think Luke is very funny, and there's a lot of humor in Luke's Gospel, and we see it on display here. Uh, Peter starts rattling on. Oh, let's build a shrine. Jesus and uh, Moses and Elijah. And then uh, Luke gives us a little parent He had no idea what he was saying is what Luke's uh, Luke's narration of this story. But at the very least, we know that Peter is excited and he knows that something big has happened. And, and Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets, they testify to who Jesus is. And then the voice of God rings out. This is my son, my chosen Listen to him. We have the declaration. Jesus is the Messiah. We have the witnesses. This is the one. The law and the prophets testify to this. And we have God's pronouncement, God's judgment. Yes, this is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Perhaps the disciples thought that this sight meant that they had misunderstood that talk about death and resurrection. Maybe they thought, oh, good. We, 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 we didn't get that. Jesus is, this, No, this is a path of glory and, 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 and miraculous visions. And it looks like the road's going to be a little bit easier for us. Again, we don't know what they were thinking when they came down from the mountain with Jesus that day. But the story keeps going. And I'm so glad uh, we were invited to read the next part of the story today. When they came off the mountain, they've had this incredible moment, this incredible revelation of God, and they come down the mountain and who's waiting for them? All the hurting, depressed, broken people who were down in the valley when they went up on the mountain in the first place. The people still crying out, still hurting, still in pain. And among all those voices, amid all that clamor, one voice stands out. It's the voice of of this father, the father of one child who's just begging and pleading for someone to help his child. We get this story of of a demonic possession, of, of convulsions and seizures. Uh, and, and the father just being broken down by his love for his son and his inability to get any help. And he says something so incredible in that moment. I begged your disciples to cast it out and they could not. I begged your disciples to help me, Jesus, and they could not do it. A lot of United Methodists feel like that father today. We begged General Conference to heal our divisions and our brokenness. We begged General Conference to cast out doing harm in God's name. We begged General Conference to deliver us from interpretations of Scripture that deny what the Spirit is doing in the lives of our LGBT friends and loved ones and family members. We begged Jesus' disciples to help our church. And they could not. They would not. And now we as the church together have come to a place that that I say many of us had stood before by ourselves with our own families. Today, as a United Methodist Church, we've come to rock bottom. We've come to that pit of, of anger and brokenness and confusion that many of us have experienced before. We've experienced it in emergency rooms. We've experienced it on the receiving end of that telephone call We've experienced in the fog of the morning after one more night of several bad decisions. We recognize this place. We've been here before. We know its uneasiness, its numbness, its hurt, its anger, and the confusion that it stirs. This is rock bottom. I pray this is rock bottom for our church. But there's a grace at rock bottom. I've felt that grace. I've experienced that grace. And I know some of you who have been through a lot of stuff have experienced that grace too. Because when you're at rock bottom, there's an option available to you. You take a deep breath, you plant your feet, and you kick up to get back to the light. You dig down, you push down, and you push up to get to what's better, to leave rock bottom behind, that you might climb up with God, that you might climb up toward God's light of grace and love. And I pray to God that that's where our church will go. I pray that's where Asbury Church goes. I pray that's where we go. I pray that we embrace the grace of rock bottom. And for us, I think that has some very clear implications Uh, Number one, um, I think today above any other, uh, anybody who walked into uh, a church that bears the name United Methodist, they should have been so warmly welcomed today. And if you are new here today and you did not get a warm welcome, we beg your forgiveness because you deserve that and you should have received that today. Because when we see what it does, when we exclude and hurt and ignore and push away, when we acknowledge that in others and say, oh, that that 53 percent that voted voted that way, oh, we have to embrace it in ourselves. We have to say I don't want to be like that. I want to walk in the better light, the loving light, the light of grace. So I'm glad each and every one of you are here today. God loves each and every one of you. And I believe God's spirit can be active in each and every one of your lives. So I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad that we're here together today. That's one thing. That must define our embrace of the grace of rock bottom. A radical, radical embrace of one another. A radical embrace and, 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 and dependence on living out the radical hospitality. The grace that we've received from Jesus to share it with others. That's one part of embracing the grace of rock bottom. It also has to be a radical dependence on God's holy presence. I mean... Everyone that I've read from or spoken to or shared any message with who was at St. Louis this week, uh, you don't hear a lot of, oh, I was on holy ground when I was out there. No, I was on ground zero. I was I was in a war field. I was in a battlefield. Um, And God, we just have to say there's something about how we've structured our church and put ourselves together that, boy, we just we just go at it and and are just blinded, I think, to what Jesus would have us to do. And again, we can see that in a a global gathering meeting hundreds of miles away from us. It's easy to see it out there. What do we do about it right here? How do we live differently? How do we tune ourselves into what God is doing right here and right now so that what we say uh, can be our reality, that everyone is welcome here, that everyone uh, we recognize that God is active in everyone who comes into this place, uh, that God uh, uh, pours out blessings upon blessings upon blessings upon each and every one of us. And we want to invite everyone to share those gifts in faithful ways. We might see what's going on, what went on in St. Louis, not doing that. What are we going to do differently here that we might do it and walk on in that light? And then sometimes, sometimes we just have to acknowledge that all of our talking and all of our planning and all of our working at the core of our faith. At the core of discipleship, there is still the invitation and the need for faith to make that leap, to say, yeah, that Jesus, that one going on about death and resurrection and taking up the cross and following him, he is not just some crazy religious kook. He actually is God's gift to us, and I want to be with him. I want to follow him. I want to go where he goes. I want to be where he. I want to be with him. I want to love the people that he loves. I want to serve the people that he serves. I want to share the gifts that he has given to me. Again, when we're reading Luke's gospel and other gospels too, something there. There's a definition of faith that comes across in the gospels that sometimes we lose. We we think, oh, faith is here's this uh, creed or here's this laundry list of religious. Uh, uh, statements. and, And you have faith if you can say, yes, 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 I agree, I believe, and all those things. That's an element of our faith, but I want to set that aside for just a moment. Because there's another definition that comes across in the Gospels. And that is faith as the radical desire to be with Jesus. The idea that nothing, no one can set anything in front of me that's going to keep me away from my Savior and his love for me. We see it in in the lives of those who who press through crowds to get to Jesus, who who come to him in the midst of despair. We see it in this father who's just beaten down and, and near total despair over the life of his of his child uh we we see it for heaven's sakes there's that one great story in the gospels of the friends of the paralytic the guy who can't even walk who say we so desperately want to get you to jesus we'll tear the roof off that house and drop you down just to be with him that's how much we depend on jesus and his love to make our lives make sense to give us hope to to bring healing We need that kind of faith, that kind of radical desire that says nothing can stand between me and Jesus, even the failure of his disciples, especially the failure of his disciples to bring healing and hope. Jesus, I begged your disciples to heal my son, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus looked around, and he let his disciples have it, didn't he? You faithless and perverse generation, he said. How much longer will I be with you and must bear with you? Bring your son here, he says to the man. And while he was coming... All the forces that were in that child's life made one last attempt to, to, to hold fast that barrier, to keep this child and this family and that man, uh, that father at, at arm's length from God's grace, from Jesus's presence. So they convulsed the boy, the, spirit, the, the scripture tells us. They dashed him to the ground. And Jesus unbuked, rebuked the unclean spirit and he healed the boy and gave him back to his father. And all who saw it were astounded at the greatness of God. Oh, how desperately we pray that God would astound us again. How desperately we pray that Jesus would astound us again. How desperately we pray that the love and the action and the power in the ministry and the faith of those who bear the name of Jesus would astound this world again with something good and something beautiful. How desperately we need to be astounded by the greatness of God. So let it be. I pray we are astounded. I hope that we are astounded. I have faith that we will be astounded. For the one who healed the boy and gave him back to his son is the one who still loves each and every one of us, who still empowers us, who still calls us by name, who still promises to meet us at that table, to meet us when we go in service to others, especially those who have been excluded, especially those who have been pushed around and beaten down, especially those who have been made to feel, as I told these kids, like broken crayons that don't have anything to contribute. No. No, whatever General Conference says, General Conference has no power to tell you that God does not love you, that Jesus does not bless you, that the Spirit is not active in your life. So let's go and be astounded by what Jesus would have us be and what Jesus would have us to do. Let us go and celebrate the good news of Jesus' love. Thanks be to God for this good news today and always. Amen and amen.